Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. And then he added, in the meantime, whatever you're thinking of doing, don't do it. (laughs) I just want to say that that is the best advice I've ever received. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Once again, hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. Please welcome the entertainment reporter and critic for Vulture and our pals at WTOP Radio, the one, the only, Jen Chaney. Hello. Just taking it with a grain of salt. (laughs) Add to this list the veteran entertainment reporter, and you can tell by the rings around his trunk just how old he is. The one, the only, Arch Campbell. I've been working on my trunk. (laughs) Thank you so much. Here we are again, and this is a special pop-up for uh, this week's Emmy nominations. And as an extra added attraction, I have invited our dear friend and Jen's WTOP colleague, Jason Fraley, to add to the response. Hello, Jason. All right. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. Well, uh, always great talking with Jason and Jen. You know, (laughs) you don't need me. The show should be at the movies with Jason and Jen. Oh, come on, Arch. <laughs> we'll discuss that later. So uh, let's legend. get into the Emmys. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> let's get into the Emmys. And uh, Jen, this is your bailiwick. So uh, what surprised you about this year's Emmy nominations? Well, I, the main thing I was looking for is these nominations were coming, obviously, on the heels of all the protests about George Floyd and, and real mm-hmm. calls for racial equality and 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 all that kind of stuff. And obviously the Emmys have had that call before, but it it felt a little more urgent this year. And they were voting in the midst of a pandemic in which, at least theoretically, people should have had more time to check out a, a vaster pool of screeners than maybe they usually did. And I would say on the whole, the nominees did represent that at least on some level. You know, usually at least one acting category is entirely white faces and, and it's embarrassing for that reason. And that was not the case this year. Every single acting category had at least one person of color. And, and some of them were completely dominated by Black actors, actually. So that was a positive change. And there were some shows I did not expect to see nominated, like um, What We Do in the Shadows for Outstanding Comedy. That was a, a surprise and suggested to me that some people took a little more time to cast their net a little bit wider. And, you know, the most nominated show of the year was Watchmen. And that was no surprise to me. And I was thrilled to see that. Yeah, let's get into uh, Watchmen because... Uh... First of all, how prescient it was, uh, you know, before all of this stuff. And there it is, history and science fiction. And uh, Jason, what's your take on uh Watchmen. Yeah, um, I, I agree that that was the big takeaway from yesterday. I think it led with, what, 26 nominations? And yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I'd like to echo Jen that it, you know, it seems like it's going to be, no matter how many it actually wins, I think it's going to win limited series and probably a bunch of others. But I think it's going to be the talk of the town that night. You know, it's going to be, it, there's so much in it with the social commentary on not only racism, and but also policing. And there's the whole, you know, white supremacy. Uh, thing with uh, the, the police officer with his uh, and and let me throw closet. in the uh, history aspect too of the uh, riots in Tulsa a mm-hmm. hundred years ago that uh, people are just now becoming uh, aware of 
else. Yeah, I and I think that's one of the strongest things is when when you sit down and watch that show in the in that first episode even it, it opens with a black and white silent movie almost like mm-hmm. like the birth of a nation but it's told from uh it's a black kid watching a black hero on screen lynching a, a white criminal back in the day. It's like flipped. But then as we pull out into the theater we see that these young black eye this kids watching it on screen only to realize that outside the theater the movie theater there's chaos pandemonium going on with the actual Tulsa riot and um, I think the show is going to do for black viewers just like that kid in the theater in the in the show it's going to it's all about how is history told through what perspective and I think it sets up that alternate history brilliantly and I think it's going to have a big night at the Emmys. Jen I want to ask you about Watchmen limiting the series there will not be a second season and you know we were all uh uh, completely caught up in it and it's the kind of thing where where they usually come up with some way to uh, to stretch it out a little more uh what's your take on that I, I don't think Damon Lindelof who created it wants to do another season I think he wants to you know leave it where it is I don't think he's changed his mind about that as far as I know and I talked to him somewhat recently and it's a shame but I also think it's it's so well done that I understand that instinct and I know how um you know he really reveres that comic. And I know how nervous he was about making this and how it was going to be received. I was I was with him. I, I moderated the, the New York Comic Con panel about the show shortly before it premiered. And he, as is his, his character, was very nervous about how it was going to be received. So I think he doesn't want to push his luck. <laughs> Can I actually say something on that subject? As much as we'd all, you know, love to see future seasons in terms of award shows, it it almost feels a little like a a tricky thing to do to say, oh, we're a limited series. Like Big Little Lies, for instance, wins the best limited series. And then they say, oh, now we'll do a season two. It almost seems disingenuous. Yeah, like you have to take back their limited series Emmy from three years ago because it seems like not fair. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's like asterisks in baseball or something. It's a little weird, but um, well, either way, it'd be nice to have future seasons for sure. Well, I hope he sticks to it. Actually, I admire that this that their their stance that this is it and that's it. Mm-hmm. We've done what we can do. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what happened to the plot against America? I thought that would make it into a limited series. That category is so competitive that right. it just didn't make it in there. I was surprised that Unbelievable didn't get a more nominated. It, it got one for, mm-hmm. for a limited series and for Tony Collette, but it did not. Merritt Weaver and, and Caitlin Deaver didn't get nominated, and that was a shame, I thought. Here's the list of limited series, which you said last week, Jen, would be uh, the greatest hits of television for the entire season, and you're right. It's Little Fires Everywhere, Mrs. America on Hulu, which was so good with Kate Blanchett, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, and Watchmen. And I would just say to anyone who is uh, catching up with their viewing at home, to just go through this uh, list of limited series, and if you and and that is what you must uh, see this year. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's must see TV. There's other must see as well, but that's a very strong category. Well, tell us, tell us your must sees. 
I mean, I would say almost everything in the drama category is, is a must-see, to be honest. That's a pretty strong lineup of shows, Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, The Mandalorian, which I was not sure was going to get a nomination there, um, Ozark, Stranger Things, and Succession. I would certainly say if you haven't seen Succession, that's that's a must-watch. Yeah, I think we all thought this would be the year of Succession, and actually it's Watchmen instead. Well, it's still maybe partially their year. I'm sure they'll win some Emmys here. They did, they did pretty well on the nomination front. Yeah, the interesting you know, thing in the in the best drama category is that um, you know Game of Thrones that's the defending champ and that's that's one I think the last two years but now as we all know that series has mercifully concluded and so now it's opening up a lane for all these other shows that we've all loved to have a shot and so um, you know it, it's probably if you're betting money probably going to be Succession on HBO just because I know it just won at the Globes it has all the momentum um, my personal favorite I, I mean. I've really been enjoying Ozark on Netflix. I think, well, with the exception of Better Call Saul, it's kind of the closest thing to, to Breaking Bad. Um, but I just think it's 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 been pretty strong all three seasons. You could argue it gets stronger and stronger, especially for Laura Linney's character in season three. And Jason Bateman's so great in it, too. Um, it's got that dark, moody setting where they're basically living in the shadows every time they're in their house, <laughs> juxtaposed to the the vibrant colors of the, the natural world there, you know, at the Ozark Mountain in the lake. Yeah, um, and let me jump in and say what I love about Ozark is the, oh, my God, the holy S-H-I-T moments which just which they always seem to deliver end of season three had a crazy cliffhanger right before it cut to the credits <laughs> but you know the critics are not kind to ozark and and that's what i want to pitch to jen yeah and, and um, you're not a fan either no well I, a I guy thing I'm finishing I'm finishing season three now because I got behind on it. I, I love all the actors in it. I think they give great performances. I just felt from the very beginning like this is it's not another breaking it's derivative. I find I find it very, very derivative. And I haven't been able to fully get over that fact. And especially in season two, every episode, Laura Linney and Jason Bateman were like, Why didn't you tell me about this thing? What are you doing behind my back? And it happened like 85 times. So I don't think it's as clever in by any stretch as Breaking Bad. But and and the darkness annoys me. I can't see what's happening. <laughs> now, will you let us know when you get to the end of season three? Yeah, I'll be finishing it in a couple of days. Yeah, because it is a uh, we don't want to give it away, but it's a it's a fall off the couch moment. Now, did you also find a, a better call Saul derivative or is that? No, not, <laughs> no, not at all. all right. Better call Saul is brilliant. <laughs> Any other last words about, you know, if someone is, I think all of us are at home and we're streaming TV and we're wondering, uh, you know, what am I going to watch? What am I going to watch? And so as you sift through all of these nominations, what does it say to the person at home looking for something good uh, that he needs to watch, he or she, to be caught up? What 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 do we get from the Emmys that we really need to be watching that we might not be watching? Boy, there's a lot. But uh, <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is Insecure, which is a terrific show. Issa Rae has been nominated before for a uh, lead actress, but it's never been nominated in Outstanding Comedy. And it finally broke through this year after what was a very strong fourth season. So if people haven't watched Insecure on HBO, I highly recommend that they do that. And also, while we're talking of the comedy, we kind of haven't really hit the comedies that much. But, um, yeah. you know, Fleabag's out of the running 
this year. So open the lanes for maybe something new that we've all loved, like the good place to step in there or my personal favorite. Well, you mentioned Insecure too, but um, I've also enjoyed uh, Shit's Creek on Pop TV. It's sort of the little little hidden gem engine that could because uh, not many people had that channel. And the Their episodes would arrive later on Netflix. Like I, I don't even think that last season with the, the same-sex marriage wedding, I don't think that's even arrived on Netflix. I think it was only on Pop yeah. TV. So, I mean, I think uh, I, I'm, I have a little soft spot for that and I'm pulling for that, that, that family moving into the, the, mot- the motel and uh, actually learning to love life. Uh, in well, and the comedy for me is dead to me. And I thought dead to me, their second season was even more outrageous than the first. And, and again, has those, oh my God, moments. So dead to me. Yeah, I like that one too. So uh, any last words on the Emmys? I mean, there's so much to talk about and so much. And are there too many nominations? Is there just too much stuff that we'll just never get our arms around this? I mean, there is too much, but as the, you know, with production having been shut down, we're getting to that moment where there's going to be fewer new series, I think, for a little while, which I'm, you know, I'm not happy production has shut down because of the pandemic, but not having quite as much to sift through, I'm a little bit happy about. But there's still, I mean, there's still so much to to sift through. I think the question going forward is like, how are they going to do this ceremony? Because it's all going to be, you know, virtual. They're not going to have a big ceremony at a central location and all that kind of stuff. I believe Jimmy Kimmel is still hosting, but I don't, I don't know what exactly it's going to look like. The other big takeaway for me is, um, gosh, Netflix, I think led with 160 um, Mm. nominations. Uh, HBO was second with a 107. But the fact that, I mean, guys, think about back, think when House of Cards first came came on the block and you know everyone was like oh my gosh a streaming series is finally getting nominated and then you know then you'd have your you know Orange is the New Black and Handmaid's Tale and the rest you'd be like yay Hulu yay Amazon Prime you're finally getting nominated but now it's just completely flipped and you have Netflix dominating even HBO I think Disney Plus got a bunch of nominations it's a whole new world Quibi got 10 nominations (laughs) yeah which hasn't been really doing that well with its numbers but um but yeah with the pandemic you're seeing new shows like for instance Tiger King which you know I, a lot of people didn't think it was more, you know, more tr- trashy kind of TV, but I think uh, stuff like that's getting nominated because of the pandemic with, you know, not m- as much to watch. Uh, I want to mention that three shows seem to be uh, on everyone's mind right now, and they opened after uh, the end of the qualifying period. And of course, they are Perry Mason, which we'll have to wait till next year to see if it does anything. And Hamilton uh, is not qualified qualified for this year's uh, Emmys, and I'll be gone in the dark. And speaking of I'll be gone in the dark, Jen, uh, you received a shout out on the uh, penultimate issue and an essay you wrote. And uh, I read your essay and I watched the issue and I do agree with you. It was, I don't know if thrilling is the right word, but the, the latest episode of I'll Be Gone in the Dark is was certainly extraordinary. Yeah, I think it's an excellent series. Just to add though to, to what the, the series that are being talked about right now, um, mm-hmm. I May Destroy You, I think is, is mm-hmm. one of the big series being talked about right now. 
right now that we will be hearing that next year at Emmy time for sure. Give us a little bit more of your thoughts on uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark and the uh, the latest uh, episode, which is about the death of Michelle McNamara. Yes. So for people who aren't familiar, Michelle McNamara was a true crime writer and she wrote the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, that this series is based on. And while she was in the process of working on it, she very suddenly passed away due to a, a mix of prescription pills and and also an undiagnosed heart condition that may have been a contributing factor as well. And so the series spends the first, this recent episode, the first half of it is just about the aftermath of Michelle's death and her husband, Patton Oswald, talking about it. And it's sort of a mystery tucked into this larger mystery of a, of a true crime show about the Golden State Killer. But it also, it, and it does this even more in the finale that airs this week, it really interrogates why we're so interested in true crime, what can be unhealthy about it, what motivates us, especially women who are the biggest true crime fans. Fans. Like the, the demographics on it skew very heavily female and the victims in these shows are always women. Um, and I think that's just such an interesting thing to explore that I, I haven't seen another true crime series that went that meta to actually ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And I think this show does it really elegantly while still keeping you interested in the broader story about the Golden State Killer. So uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. The finale is uh, this Sunday night. Are you watching that, Jason? I'll be gone in the dark. I haven't started it yet. I'm really excited to based on um, not only today, but you've mentioned it in past podcasts. So I'm excited. And uh, Patton Oswalt uh, gave you a shout out, Jim. Yeah, that was really nice of him. That was really nice. It meant a lot. Um, Clearly. So uh, I know you have some uh, shows to recommend. And why don't we end this podcast with recommendations? In the meantime, uh, let's take a break for a shameless plug for Hound Radio. And then we have some important... Uh, people to celebrate and remember when we come back. Busy sniffing around getting you helpful residential real estate tips like this. If you've requested a forbearance period from your mortgage lender, we're now approaching the end of that time. This means that you'll need to do two important things. Resume making your mortgage payments and reach out to the service provider to discuss paying off the missed payments. If you have a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, you should have a few options. The CARES Act allows for an additional 180 days forbearance period, totaling a full year. With interest rates so low, refinancing could be an option, but lenders have tightened their requirements, so if income is an issue, that could be harder to do. Talk to your service provider about the possibility of changing the terms of your current loan and doing a loan modification. If you're not sure what to do, HUD has a list of housing counselors that you can talk to and they can guide you through your various alternatives. Regardless, just make sure you don't let your forbearance period expire and skip payments. Stay in touch with your servicers. Congress hasn't decided yet on what's to come for another round of relief, and additional options are still possible. I'm Karen Parnes for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. Well, I almost don't know where to start on this uh, because this week uh, Olivia de Havilland passed away and Regis Philbin passed away. And uh, both of those uh, are kind of events that really strike a deep chord. Uh, Let's start with Olivia de Havilland, whose roots go back to uh, uh, Hollywood, uh, to, you know, the star system. And she was 
104. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jason, this is right up your alley. What, if anybody doesn't know about Olivia de Havilland, what is the important thing for them to remember? Um, well, I think most people, I mean, obviously everyone knows her from um, Gone with the Wind and yeah. uh, the, you know, the childbirth scene, and the, the, how Victor Fleming shoots it with the silhouettes on the wall and all that. But um, to me, if there's one movie that you want to familiarize yourself for De Havilland's career, it's you got to go see William Wyler's 1949 film, The Heiress, um, where she plays the wealthy heiress of a family where um and then montgomery clift is very young in this movie this is like pre place in the sun um he comes in as this handsome debonair uh suitor but but uh de Havilland's father is very skeptical and uh we won't you know spoil what happens for a movie that was made in the 40s <laughs> but um but but i will say it does build to one of the best most powerful and empowering if you're talking from a feminist standpoint um, final shots in all of movie history with her walking up the stairs carrying that lantern. I mean, it's a it's a shot you've seen in many montages of the greatest Hollywood movies ever. But it is man that that role I think is the one to me that that wraps up her career. And uh, she's probably one of the last. Jen, what do you think? Is she the last one of the last links to the? Because Kirk Douglas just died. She might be one of the last links to the golden age. Yeah, I mean that's certainly how people were characterizing it. She was the last living star of Gone with the win for sure and um that's how it's been framed and and uh I, I, that feels right to me and she, she was significant too um as you said arch because she she really took on the star system and kind of uh dismantled it so that actors weren't chained to the studios and and required to um you know be at their, their beck and call and and bend to their will uh and i think that's had a huge impact maybe i mean not to diminish her performances but like that's a huge impact on the on the hollywood yeah it let actors pick and choose they didn't have to just do uh whatever uh jack warner told them to do right you know i always associated betty davis with breaking the star system but uh mm -hmm. olivia de Havilland is the one who went to court and got it done right she uh, you know she, uh, the snake pit also from the 40s was one of those early social message films about uh the uh the terrible uh, state of mental asylums in america at the time and uh, late in life she sued the producers of feud because uh remember the the series on fx that i loved so much about the feud between betty davis and joan crawford and they implied that olivia to Haviland had fun pouring gasoline <laughs> and uh, and she said no I didn't and uh, you know I, I forget exactly how the suit came out but uh, she didn't like the way they portrayed her well we have the answer whatever happened to baby Jane it was Olivia de Havilland <laughs> <laughs> So, and now we need to get into Regis Philbin. And you know, what does it say when the death of someone like Regis strikes such a deep chord and, and just leaves you so sad? Uh, and Jen, you wrote a lovely essay on him for Vulture. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, in some ways, he feels like a, a, a representative of a bygone era and that mm -hmm. he came up through the broadcast system um, and, you know, at a certain point in the 90s and certainly in the 2000s, you could turn on your TV in the morning, in the afternoon, 
afternoon and, and during prime time and then maybe in late night and see Regis in every single um, category of time because he was doing the morning show live with first with um, Kathy Lee and then with Kelly Ripa and he was doing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and his his uh, appearances on many late night talk shows but certainly David with David Letterman were the stuff of legend. You've been an inspiration to me. Have I really? Yes, absolutely. In what way? Um, <laughs> I regard you to be a master communicator. What does that mean? <laughs> well, that's Thanks. a bad sign if you don't know. <laughs> he can't possibly be a master communicator if you don't know what it means. All right. He was just everywhere. He was ubiquitous, and he was one of those people that you thought was never going to die because he just had always been around for so long. One of the things that I have noticed is missing from the uh, obits of his life is, uh, you know, he was Joey Bishop's sidekick in 1967 on ABC, a show that did not last very long and really did not have much of an impact. Uh, he had a lot of years in the wilderness. And when I would go to L.A. in the early 80s, uh, Regis was doing local television. He was on a local TV show in L.A. that was kind of fun, but also the kind of thing Saturday Night Live would lampoon. And he was the movie reviewer on Channel 7 in L.A. for a couple of years. So he was supporting himself by doing a local morning show and then then reviewing movies at six o'clock. And from that, he uh, he finally found his mojo and moved to New York and uh, and got into syndication and the rest is history. And I, what I really appreciate about him is that he kept working. He just kept working. He kept and anything he did, he did uh, to the best of his ability. And I don't think we have performers like that on television anymore. Wow, Arch, I didn't I didn't realize that about the movie. I'd love to yeah. find those old movie reviews. He probably reaches his every review goes. This movie's getting out of control. But <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but on a serious note, I mean I. For years, you know, watch his talk shows, and then, as Jen said, the Letterman appearances are, are just oh silent. god, you can I find love them those. on YouTube if you have. But I, I remember, I, I actually always would turn to my family and say, "Man, you know that when he actually dies, that's going to be a really sad one." And when it actually did, you know, it kind of hits you hard. It's one of those. I mean, Robin Williams, obviously, but it's one of those that really it, it hits you hard, and because he's so beloved, and it's one of those to steal a phrase from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. It's it's one where you phone a friend. It's when you pick up your phone and say, hey, did you hear Regis died? Not every celebrity can, can do that. And it's one of those that hits you on an emotional level. And, and you feel like you got to reach out to, to others and say, hey, did you hear about that? Wow. Lou, you had an encounter with Regis? Well, I don't know if I'd call it an encounter. But back when I was doing the morning show years ago with Lori Brooks on Wash FM, our promotions department had set up something. I guess Regis was promoting, I don't know, whatever it was, a book or whatever he was doing. Or or maybe one of his other TV shows in primetime. And we did a phone interview, and we recorded it while we were on the air at WASH, and it lasted maybe 10, 15 minutes of the very most. And it was at 8.15 in the morning, and the reason is because he had to go on at 9 with, uh, with Kelly. So, fine, we totally forget about it. Next thing I know, I'm getting these emails, and people are saying, hey, did you know Regis was just talking about you on TV? <laughs> So uh, here's, here's, here's the audio clip of what Regis was actually saying to Kelly. Today I called uh, a couple in Washington, D.C., an FM station. Yes. Lou and Lori. Yes. Yeah. 
And so, but you know, you don't know when you're talking to a radio guy, what do they look like? You know, because they know what we look like. Right. So I said to Lori, you know, this Lou Katz, his name is Lou Katz. I said, this Lou Katz guy really intrigues me. Mm. Tell me what he looks like. By the time she got through telling me what Lou Katz looked like, I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> No. Was it good no, or bad? No, no, we had a little fun with Lou. His hair is thinning, and you know, that's all you got to hear. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lou and Laurie, I enjoyed it very much today. I ran into Regis uh, standing around the green room of the uh, Italian-American uh, Foundation Awards, and uh, I, I was asking him about uh, the Rat Pack. And and it was like having a conversation with the two of you. I mean, he was he, and not for an interview or anything. He was just back there hanging around. I forget why he was there. Somebody was being uh, honored that night that Regis knew. You know, because his association with Joey Bishop gave him an association with Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, it's, but I mourn uh, the fact that there are not going to be too many more performers like Regis. Yeah, I mean, even just the way you described how he came up, you know, I think it's it's hard to imagine someone having a similar career path. That path doesn't really exist anymore. So, um, Jason, I know you're doing your, uh, your list of lists continues <laughs> for this month. Can you give us a quick uh, version of what's your favorite movie? I liked last time how we just picked a category yeah. and then tossed it out to you guys. So what would you say your favorite sports movie is? That's one we did yesterday. Hmm. Oh, what's your favorite sports movie, Jim? Uh, the first thing that's coming to mind is Hoop Dreams, to be honest. Um, yeah. I love basketball, and, I, and that's such a tremendous documentary. It's very long, but it is so worthwhile and enriching. That's that's my favorite. That's, that, that is a great answer, and uh, Hoop Dreams, anybody who hadn't seen it should see. And because... Because I normally go for the the quick and easy, I'm going to go with Ten Cup, <laughs> which actually was based on the uh, story of a couple of golf pros from the '50s, and and uh, and so Ten Cup. That's it for me. It is a bold move to pick a golf movie that isn't Caddyshack. Let, let me just. <laughs> And don't forget Happy Gilmore, too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tin Cup, because it did have the ring of truth. And there was a golf pro who would uh, challenge people to a match and where he would use a shovel and a rake and a baseball bat. <laughs> so those things actually went on. Give us your list of your favorite sports movies. Yes, in, well, there's in, 30 of them, so I'll just give you the top 10. <laughs> I have the, Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. I have mm -hmm. The Hustler with Paul Newman. I have Rudy. Oh, love Rudy. Hustler. Wow. Um, then I have A League of Their Own, Penny Marshall. I mean, come on. That's that's a classic. That just gets better with time. Uh, Bull Durham, number six, another classic. Mm -hmm. Hoosiers with Gene Hackman coaching the Indiana High School basketball team. Number four, I have Remember the Titans. Uh, Denzel as Coach Boone was so great at T.C. Williams High School. I, I actually think that sort of paved the way for him to win for training day the next year. 
Number three, one of my all-time favorites, I have Field of Dreams. I just, that, oh. that movie makes me cry every time. Makes yeah. me you know, think of playing catch with your dad or your grandfather. And it's just a, it's just a magical realism fantasy in addition to uh, the sports movie. Number two, I had Raging Bull. Um, definitely a bit of a, a downer and a tragic story, but man, De Niro's performance is Jake LaMotta from a chiseled champion to some fat, cheap, fat failure of a cheap nightclub, uh, pounding his head against a, a jail cell. I mean, you're not going to see performances any better or Scorsese's in-ring action I mean it's the most artful thing ever done probably and then number one um I guess you could say Raging Bull was technically better made but number one it hits me in the feels I went with Rocky the original Rocky um it's just that great underdog movie where he doesn't have to win what are you thinking about when that buzzer's on for that line? what do you think about when the 15th round when you're coming out Adrian! you know when he's yelling Adrian and she's saying I love you it, it, it's just it, it's just it's the perfect sports movie to me and and uh, I know there's been a million sequels. It, it, it kind of makes us water down in our brain of what, what that original one meant. But it won Best Picture. It won the box office. That music, the training montages. I mean, I think it's like the sports movie that all others tried to emulate for years and years. So I, I had to go with, that's a soft spot for me, Rocky at number one. Wow. I wish you, you could do this forever. You and your lists. I just love those lists. I think it's a wonderful thing. That's the because plan. Because it makes us think. <laughs> Do it forever. <laughs> well, uh, we're running low on time, so uh, shall we end with some best bets? What are you recommending, Jen? There's a number of things. There's a new um, BBC show that Hulu has picked up, a coming-of-age show called In My Skin that's really, Ooh. really well done. Oh. Uh, it's just five episodes, so you can watch it pretty quickly. Um, there's a new Muppet show coming out on Disney Plus uh, this upcoming oh. weekend called Muppets Now. It's sort of a hybrid of the, the Muppets show that was on ABC that wasn't so great and the original Muppet show. And it's, it's pretty fun, actually. And then the last thing I'll mention is... Um, um, if you're a fan of the Go-Go's and if you're not, you should be. Uh, there's a documentary about the Go-Go's that's airing on Showtime on Saturday night that makes the very strong case that they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, I would just echo that sentiment. Jason, what what are you pushing this weekend? Well, I actually, um, I, I typically hate, let me just preface this. I typically hate dating shows, reality shows. I think they are so not reality at all. But there's one that's on Netflix that just hit called Love on the Spectrum that my wife and I watch. That is oh. just wonderful. It's all about um, uh, people, single folks that are um, on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, Asperger's, and they it it, re it ranges the all on the spectrum. But um, the the dates that they go on, you have it just feels more authentic than those other shows, and your your heart goes out to them. You see their families, their parents encouraging them. They these people will capture your heart, and you will just fall for the characters in the show. I promise. Who, who, I love who's carrying that? Who's carrying that? What's that on? Uh, Netflix. And uh, Louie, what are you watching at home? Well, we just wrapped up this Dr. Foster on Netflix, and we enjoyed that. And speaking of wrapping up, I like that segue. I thought I would uh, end the show with something you rarely ever hear or see. And I'm talking about Regis Philbin singing. You know, he loved to sing. <laughs> and here he is from a clip on America's Got Talent and quite the appropriate song, too. There's no business like show business. I know everything about it is appealing, everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no 
people like show people they smile when they are low even with the turkey that you know will fold you may be stranded out in the cold still you wouldn't trade it for a sack of gold let's go on with the show this is the cat's podcasting system